Thank you for listening to Enabled this week. I'll start by reading you some information from the Salt Lake City Tribune, published just a couple weeks ago. The article starts by saying, Utah is home to mountain air, deserts, national parks, the Great Salt Lake, the greatest snow on Earth, and evil spirits and an alien spacecraft. Well, maybe at least according to a new series airing on the Discovery Channel. It's what they call a reality TV show. It's called Mystery at Blind Frog Ranch, and it follows Texan Dwayne Ollinger, his son Chad Ollinger, and a small team looking for gold and buried treasure in Uinta County in Utah. They battle the elements in dangerous situations and possibly some paranormal elements in an area that the elder Mr. Ollinger tells viewers the area just don't feel right. In 2009, Dwayne Ollinger first saw the region's caverns. In 2018, he bought 160 acres there southeast of a town called Ballard. He named it the Blind Frog Ranch because he discovered that the caverns underneath it were populated by, you guessed it, blind frogs. The goal is to mine the land for precious metals and possibly locate treasure left behind by Aztecs, Spaniards, Mexicans, and or Mormons. Discovery, the TV channel, has aired shows about treasure hunting, gold prospecting, and searches for alien artifacts infused with spooky elements. But this program, Mystery at Blind Frog Ranch, combines all those elements as the drama plays out in eastern Utah. Well, I'll let you decide if you will watch the show or not. This information, as I said, came from the Salt Lake City Tribune. Right now, I have information to help you understand vision in frogs. Yes, really, vision in frogs. The information comes from www.nhm.uk. This is from the Natural History Museum in the South Kensington area of London. The headline reads, The Secrets of Frog Vision Are Finally Being Revealed. The article was written by Josh Davis and was published in August of 2018. Through a series of expeditions up mountains and into rainforests, experts are figuring out exactly how frogs' eyesight works, using a wide range of technologies in the process. The first question they ask, what do we know about frog vision? Frogs are amphibians, animals that live between water and land. Their eyes have to deal with a lot compared with most of the animal kingdom, yet despite this incredible adaptability, surprisingly little research has delved into amphibian eyesight and how they perceive the world around them. Dr. Jeff Stryker, Senior Curator of Amphibians and Reptiles at the Museum, and this is at the museum, the Natural History Museum in London, he says, unlike vertebrate groups such as mammals, birds, and reptiles, we actually know very little about amphibian vision. Almost everything we know is based upon a few studies looking at a limited number of frogs. This creates a problem because frogs are incredibly diverse in what they get up to, from those that spend all their lives underwater, to some that pass their entire lives in the canopy, to others that live solely underground. 
Here's a quote too. There are almost 7,000 species of living frogs described so far. And they're not all the same, explains Jeff. This is Dr. Jeff Stryker from the Natural History Museum in London. He continues, in other groups where we see large numbers of species that have evolved over tens to hundreds of millions of years, we know that visual systems have changed a lot, often in relation to what they are doing. The next section is titled, Investigating Frog Eyesight in the Wild. Scientists from the museum, this is the one in London, along with colleagues from the Smithsonian and from the University of Texas at Arlington, have set out on a series of expeditions to the four corners of the world to investigate how frog eyes have changed as the animals have adapted to different lifestyles. By looking at the amphibian family tree, the researchers were able to identify the most evolutionarily and ecologically distinctive groups. They then overlaid where these frogs live on a map of the world. This has taken the team to some of the world's most biodiverse places, stopping off in Australia, Africa, and the Pacific Northwest coast of the United States. The latest expedition took the researchers to the remote rainforests of French Guiana in South America. With near pristine forests and a tropical ecosystem, it is an ideal place to find a wide range of frogs. The next section is titled Frogs in a Rainforest Laboratory. During their trips, the team has carried with them an impressive piece of equipment called a microspectrophotometer, a microspectrophotometer, built and run by Cornell University vision expert Ellis Lowe. This instrument, once again, I'll try to pronounce it, microspectrophotometer. This instrument is used to measure which wavelengths of light ranging from violet to infrared are absorbed by visual pigments in the rod and cone cells in the retinas of frogs. These two types of cells are known as photoreceptors, with the rods being responsible for vision in low light and the cones when light levels are higher. So what do frogs see? Researchers can determine how many visual pigments each frog has and the range of wavelengths each frog species might then be able to perceive. In turn, this can help build up a picture of what the amphibians can see. Carrying out this experiment in the field is easier said than done. It requires a complex kit to be kept at a stable room temperature and in complete darkness not easy to achieve at a remote research station in the humid jungle. It also needs uh, fresh retinal cells. To do this, the scientists must first humanely euthanize the amphibian, and then carefully the eye is removed and dissected so as not to damage the tissue, and the retina is mounted on a microscopic slide. Crucially, and as an added hurdle, this all has to be carried out in the dark, so as not to activate the visual pigments in advance. Here's a quote. You are putting the retinal tissue on the slide, and then that is taken and put into a microscope, which is equipped with a very narrow beam of light that runs through all different wavelengths of light, explains Jeff. 
The beam is then fired at individual rod and cone cells in the retinal tissue, allowing the researchers to measure exactly which wavelengths are being absorbed and to determine which types of pigments are present in each type of photoreceptor cell. The next section is called Collecting Frogs to Save Them. Fresh retinal tissue is used for other aspects of the project, such as studying which genes are expressed in the eyes of each frog. This is done by analyzing the different RNA found in the eye tissue, an indication of which proteins are being made, and thus which genes are expressed in the eye. But RNA is not very stable. Here's a quote. RNA degrades very quickly after the animal stops making it, says Jeff. Even with fresh tissue, the researchers need to use a special buffer to prevent the molecules from falling apart as soon as the animal dies. This means that tissues from museum specimens are not feasible for looking at RNA. We're still a long way off from doing the same with museum collections as what we can do with the fresh tissue, explains Jeff. So that's why we've got this hybrid approach where we're using some fresh collections and then using both the Smithsonian and the Natural History Museum in London collections for the other bits such as understanding how eye size has evolved among frogs. Fresh tissue collections are also of use for understanding the genetic diversity and other aspects of the natural history of frogs, especially poorly known tropical species. This is something that we actively do to give us a better chance of understanding these animals and ultimately to protect them. These quotes were from someone they referred to as Jeff in the article. This would be Dr. Jeff Stryker, who is the senior curator of amphibians and reptiles at the Natural History Museum in London. The article continues, though, and the headline reads, Changing How We See Amphibians. The London Museum team, which also includes Dr. David Gower, who's head of the Vertebrates Division, and Dr. Kate Thomas, who's a postdoctoral researcher. This team is looking at many aspects involved in how frogs see, from the ways in which they perceive light to the genes expressed in the tissue, and even the characteristic of the lens and the shape of the eye. Here's a quote. I think that the series of papers that come out of this project will recalibrate how we think about frog and amphibian vision, says Jeff. But it's a case that we know so little that extra information will do that. The researchers have one final stop off later this year in Brazil before turning their full attention to examining what the data can tell them about how amphibians see the world around them. The next article I have is titled, The Secret of How Frogs See the World. The information came from psychologytoday.com. It was published on October 9th in 2020. It was written by Dr. Mary Bates. She is a PhD. The Secret of How Frogs See the World. Frogs have the biggest eyes of any vertebrate in relation to their body size. It's clear to see that species like tree frogs have gigantic eyes. But the visual systems of most frogs have gone largely unstudied by scientists. An international interdisciplinary team of researchers is starting to change that. 
In the first study to come out of the collaboration, the team examined museum specimens representing all 55 frog families to test hypotheses about the evolution of frog eye size and its relationship to different aspects of their lifestyles. The results show that overall frogs are investing a lot of energy in maintaining their eyes and that vision is likely important to their survival and reproductive success. A person named Raina Bell, who's the assistant curator of herpetology at the California Academy of Sciences and one of the new paper's authors, says that although frogs were an early model for studying vision at the turn of the 20th century, the research was limited to a small number of easily accessible species. Here's a quote. It was not reflective of the enormous diversity of frogs that we know exist today, she says. Our understanding of vision in frogs has lagged behind such research in other vertebrates, such as fishes, birds, and mammals. There are more than 7,000 frog species living in a variety of different habitats and ecosystems. Some spend their entire lives underwater, others live in the treetops, and still others burrow underground. The first goal of Bell and her colleagues was to broaden out from those initial frog species whose vision had been characterized historically and document the diversity in eye size among frogs. To do this, her team depended primarily on specimens preserved in natural history collections around the world. They measured eye size in 220 frog species representing all 55 families. The study revealed that frogs have relatively large eyes for their body size, with certain species of tree frog coming out at the top. Bell, this is referring to Raina Bell, who's the curator of herpetology at the California Academy of Sciences. So the article continues, Bell says that relative eye size is an indication of how much an organism's energy budget is invested in eye tissue. Here's a quote. Eyes are metabolically expensive to maintain, so if you have large eyes, that suggests you are relying pretty heavily on vision and investing energy in maintaining that eye tissue, she says. The team also tested whether the eye sizes were correlated with life history traits, like where frogs lived or whether they are active at day or night. As is seen in other animals, there was a strong association between habitat type and eye size, with species that live underground or in murky water having reduced eyes. It's likely that in these light-deficient environments, animals are not relying as much on vision, and it's not worth it to invest in growing large eyes. Bell says this study is an important first step in understanding the diversity of eye size in frogs. Next, she and her colleagues are looking at the genetic underpinnings of this variation and characterizing photoreceptor sensitivity in different frogs. She's also interested in how frogs' visual systems change as they develop from aquatic tadpoles into adults who might live in a very different habitat. 
She ends with a quote and says, It's interesting from an evolutionary perspective, but also from a behavioral perspective, in terms of understanding how frogs are sensing and interacting with their environment. We know that they have big eyes. We don't know specifically why, but we're working on it. And this is once again at the California Academy of Sciences. The next article goes to a different country. The information came from the BBC, www.bbc.com. The headline reads, Brazilian Island is overrun by invasion of blind toads. This article was written by Shreya Dasgupta. When Kururu toads reached the island of Fernando de Nerona, they became blind and deformed and that has transformed their lifestyle. This was published in May of 2015. Before we start, I'll spell the name of those toads for you. It's Kururu, C-U-R-U-R-U, Kururu toads, and we're going to be talking about the island of Fernando de Nerona. The island of Fernando de Nerona, off the coast of Brazil, is teeming with deformed Kururu toads. They invaded the island several decades ago, and now almost half of them have malformed limbs, eyes, or mouth parts. Some toads lack hands or feet, while others have extra or missing fingers or misshapen ones. Others have abnormal jaws, mouths, or noses. About 20% of the deformed toads are also partially or completely blind. Some toads lack one or both of their eyes, and others have eyes with discolored irises or no iris at all. These deformities have profoundly changed how the toads behave. For instance, most toads use visual cues to find, chase, and catch their prey. But the blind toads on the island of Fernando de Nerona have adopted a different laid-back feeding strategy, according to a study published in the Journal of Zoology. Here's a quote. Unlike the normal toads, the blind ones literally wait for the insects to walk to them before eating them. This is a quote from Luis Felipe Toledo, an amphibian biologist from the Campinas State University in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He continues and says, since the blind toads simply eat what's passing by, they are no longer selecting their prey, he adds. That causes different body conditions. For example, Toledo found that the blind toads were lighter in weight than the normal toads and produced fewer eggs. So losing vision has had a cascading effect on the toads from changing their predation tactics to ultimately affecting their fitness. Despite these deformities, the toads continue to thrive on the island. One reason is that the toads are an introduced species and do not have any natural predators or competitors on the island. Moreover, even though the deformed females produce fewer eggs, each one still pumps out thousands. And there's a quote, that's enough to keep the population going, says Toledo. The tadpoles also suffer from various deformities. In a 2014 study, Toledo's team found that nearly 53% of the tadpoles they inspected had at least one anomaly. These malformed tadpoles could turn into either deformed toads or normal ones. 
No one knows for sure when or how the toads got there. Here's a quote. There is a story that a priest about a hundred years ago took some toads from mainland Brazil to the island to control insects on his crops, says Toledo. It's also unclear why they have since become deformed and blind. He quotes, Everyone asks why the toads are like that, says Toledo, and that is the one question we haven't answered yet. Toledo's team, together with researchers at the San Diego Zoo in California, are testing some ideas that might explain the large-scale malformation in the toads of Fernando de Nerona Island. For instance, they are investigating if a parasite, bacterium, or virus could be a potential culprit, and undertaking genetic studies to see if the toads are inbred. The team is also testing the island's water and soil for contaminants. Cane toads on Bermuda Island, for example, have limb deformities caused by petroleum hydrocarbons in the pond sediments. But the deformities are just the tip of the iceberg, according to Jamie Bacon of the Bermuda Zoological Society. She says, we found endocrine disruption, suppressed immune function, and impaired reproduction as well, and not just in amphibians. So therefore, other species might be at risk. This is in Bermuda. Fernando del Nerona is a Brazilian national marine park and a UNESCO World Heritage Site. As a result, it is crucial to understand what is driving malformations in the Kururu toads, says Alan Pessier of the San Diego Zoo. He says these same factors may have the potential to impact or spill over into other wildlife species on the island, with their toad acting as an early warning system of problems in the environment, he says. Next, I have a few facts for you from Sarika Conwilker. She is an intern at the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival back in 2014. Her article is titled, I Wonder, Some Things You Didn't Know About Frog Eyes. She is the proud owner of two, by the way. First of all, she says frogs have two transparent eyelids, one on the bottom, one on the top, and a third semi-transparent eyelid called the nictitating membrane. The nictitating membrane of the red-eye tree frog has a spectacular tiger-stripe design which camouflages the bright red color of the eyeball without compromising the frog's vision. Just like our eyelids, they serve to protect the eye underwater and to keep it moist on land. Now there is a photo at this point in her article showing a close-up of the side of the head of a pale green frog. The frog's eye is bright reddish-orange and is covered halfway up by the semi-transparent nictitating membrane. The membrane is gray-colored and is very, very lacy in appearance. Next I have something fun for you. It's called Tell Me a Story, The Puffed Up Frog, which is a French fable. This was adapted by Amy Friedman and published on January 9th of 2000 from the website kitsapsun.com. Here comes a fable. Once upon a time, a frog lived in a pond. Well, of course, he wasn't the only frog in the pond, and for a long time he lived among the others, croaking and dancing, playing and singing, leaping and laughing. But one day the frog looked at his family and friends and said, I'm tired of your croaking and leaping and dancing. You look and sound ridiculous. 
The others were stunned into silence. They simply stared at him. "'Look at you,' the frog said. "'Look at those patches on your skin. "'Look at your silly feet, and listen to you. "'All that croaking day and night.' He plugged his ears and held his breath and puffed out his chest. I'd much prefer to spend time with a creature with stature, someone big and strong and handsome and brave. The others croaked a little. Oh, what do you mean, they asked. You're one of us. Oh, no, the frog said, and off he leaped to see what he could find. For a while he lived alone in a pond among the water lilies. He was waiting to meet someone new. And then one day, just as he had imagined, a big ox wandered from his home and stopped at the frog's pond to have a drink. The frog looked up and saw the handsome ox and knew at once that he wanted to know this grand fellow. So he began to croak and he leaped out of the water, up and down, this way and that, doing everything he could to attract the great ox's attention. Now, the ox had been wandering all day and was very thirsty, so he stood at the edge of the pond and drank and drank, never noticing the leaping, croaking frog. Well, never mind, the frog said to himself. I'll just wait until he's finished drinking, then he'll talk to me. He swam up close to the ox's face and waited, croaking now and then, hoping the ox would soon notice him. At last, the ox finished drinking his fill, but when he did, he noticed the water lilies. How beautiful, the ox said. And the frog, hearing this, puffed out his chest. Croak, croak, he cried. But it was not the frog that the ox had noticed. He sniffed at the water lilies, he nudged his nose against them, and he inhaled the sweet fragrance. He admired the way they floated so peacefully upon the water. When the ox sniffed the water lilies, frog sighed, Oh, never before have I seen such a magnificent creature. He is so majestic, so mysterious and strange. So, the frog puffed and puffed and puffed, puffing himself up to twice his side and then three times his size. He says, any moment now he'll notice me, the frog told himself. And in between those puffs, he croaked, calling to the ox. Still, the ox did not notice the frog, not even when the frog leaped from one water lily pad to the next. For by now the ox was dazzled by the sunlight glittering on the water and delighted by the rich smell of plant life and the light. Croak, 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 the frog called, pulling himself up even larger. Please notice me, ox. Surely we were meant to be friends. Soon frog had puffed himself up so much he could not stand up any longer. He rolled onto his side, twisting his head this way and that, trying not to lose sight of the ox. And still he grew, and still the ox did not seem to notice. But the frog puffed himself up so large and grew so full of hot air that his skin could no longer hold itself together. And once again he said, I'll make him notice me. Suddenly he simply exploded. Poof! He was gone. When the ox heard the loud banging noise, for the frog indeed exploded with a bang, he turned and looked. 
but of course when he did, the frog was gone. The moral, do not attempt the impossible. This story is based on a fable by Jean La Fontaine, who published his books between 1664 and 1668 in France. To summarize today's program, uh, well, I think I'll just summarize it by saying this is the most unusual program I have ever offered to you. So what do you think? Do you have a newfound respect for frogs and toads? I'll admit I'll have to think about that one. I'm sure spring will come, and so will those big toads sitting outside my door, looking up at me with their 360-degree all-seeing eyes. And, um, by the way, where is a frog's favorite place to eat? The International House of Pancakes, commonly called IHOP. Oh, dear, I can hear all the groaning. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great week.